everybody, it's Rob Lullisher. Welcome to the Top Cheddar Podcast. As always, my good friend, my old teammate, he let in a few goals every once in a while because he was a goalie who had been hit with the puck a few too many times in the head when he wasn't letting them in, Mr. Cam Moon. Would have been nice if a few more did hit me. Yes. Good to be here, Lolly. Good to be here. Had the defenseman in done in front of me ever done anything to stop those guys, I wouldn't have had to face as many shots. Uh, good to see you, buddy. How are things? Good to see you, too. Great. Absolutely great. I love talking hockey. We get to talk some hockey today. Yeah. It was an awesome guest. Folks, you're really going to love this. Uh, pro, a lot of years. What do you have? 10, 10, 14, yeah. 14 years pro. Um, some of the like the world junior stories and that, and uh, he's in, he, he's dipping his, his fingers in all kinds of little oh, buckets yeah. from, from, uh, you know, business agency, broadcast, coaching, all that. And uh, off ice training. Yeah. Folks, yeah. I know you're going to love it. Sean Bell joined us on the podcast and uh, good stories. Hey, Mooner. Great stories, actually great stories. So it was, outstanding to to sit down and have a great hockey conversation yep. with Sean Bell. I, I like the folks you're going to hear about his, uh, his first four games in, in the dub, which in his words equated to probably about 20 games worth of experience. We'll call it. <laughs> and you're you're going to love that one. Uh, so stay with us for that. And a couple things before you do, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to, to the podcast, you know, share it with some friends. Uh, Send it to your worst enemy ever and someone you want to pick on. You need to listen to this and everyone in between, of course. We yes. You're sharing it. And uh, one thing we do really appreciate is the support we get from, from our friends at Troubled Monk. Uh, what a great bunch. Where are they out of? They're out of the, the fine burb of Red Deer, Alberta. They're just they are, they, they are. They're doing a great job. Uh, I've got a beautiful setup in Red Deer. And uh, yeah, they've. Yeah, if you're ever down there, anyone in the Red Deer area, like you can pop in, grab yourself yeah. a growler or two. They got, you know, as the world's opening back up, they got one hell of a big patio set up. Oh, yeah. 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 Great setup. You and I have sat there. We have we, sat there. We have sat there. Yes. Bribing us with, let us sponsor your podcast. We said, okay. All right. Okay. okay. Fine, bud. Yeah. But. Buy us two more beer and we'll let it, we'll let it happen. If you're not in Red Deer folks though, like uh, um, head to any, any local pub, ask them, demand that they, they serve you a, a trouble the monk. They got beer. They got all kinds of, of things we were talking about earlier with the weather going on. The, uh, um, uh, the, the troubled tea that they have, mm, Yeah, but what a tasty beverage that is. You're not going to go wrong with that. They've got uh, they've got gin. They've got the gin and soda, the epitaph. That's some yeah. good stuff too. So uh, you know what? It's been a tough year for our friends in the food and beverage industry, and and let's get out there and support them. Head to those patios where you can, indoor, outdoor. Grab some troubled monk and and uh, and enjoy responsibly. So, but big thanks to them. Head to troublemonk.com if you want to check out more on them. And as we said, clickety click, you, you can buy some stuff and it and it magically shows up on on your uh, your front step later that day or within a That's day. The, I don't know how. Quick, yeah, but, uh, it's pretty quick. It's pretty yeah. quick. Way to go, bud. Way to go, bud and team. Yeah. Okay, Motor. Sean Bell. You ready? I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Okay, let's do it, buddy. 
Sean, you're a first-round pick in the Western Hockey League to the Regina Pats. I know you came from the Knights of Columbus organization in Edmonton. At what point in your minor hockey career did you did you start to think, hey, I I could be a WHLer? When did that set in for you? <laughs> well, in all honesty, I had zero idea about any draft. I was just playing hockey. Like my dad's background's football. Um, so, you know, we, we didn't really know anything. Um, so I was just playing, I was doing my thing at Knights of Columbus and all of a sudden there's these scouts showing up and starting to talk to my parents. They're starting to talk to me and it's like, oh, something's happening here and it's, it's getting pretty real. So I would say it would have been my draft year. So I would have been 14 at the time when I started to realize, you know, maybe something could uh, happen in hockey. Now you're a Regina Pat pick. Of course, in, in 2000, 2001, they were hosting the Memorial Cup, so they were looking to load up. They were trading away draft picks and young prospects, of which you were one of the coveted young prospects. You get traded to the Tri-City Americans, yep. and then you move on to play for Tri-City. Uh, how much did you enjoy the whole Tri-City experience? Well, I got I, let me rewind here, because I got to play okay. four games with yeah, Regina you did. Um, before I got traded. And I want to, I want to pretend like it wasn't a whirlwind, but it was an absolute whirlwind to the point where like my first game was in Brandon. Okay. So this is like Jordan Tutu is, I think he's maybe one or two years in the league and guys are terrified of him. And I'm sitting in the dressing room and guys are like, Hey, just make sure you're, you keep your head up for Jordan Tutu. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like still I deer in headlights. I don't know what's yeah. going on. And He's like, he might hit you five seconds late. He might hit you high. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm coming back from a broken collarbone from a five-second late hit. I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> so we get into our game. Um, I think we ended up winning, but there was a line brawl. First first game in the dub at 15, line brawl. So after the game, it's, it's a blizzard in Brandon. And all of a sudden, we're snowed in. So we can't go anywhere, but we got to get to Prince Albert for the tomorrow, like for the next day. So we're, we're sitting in Brandon. We wake up. It's like five o'clock in the morning. We're, we're going to risk it. Guys are sharing deodorant sticks because the team had just bought it, went out and to the local gas station and got some stuff. And then we go up to Prince Albert. We make it there probably an hour before the game. And once again, I'm like, this is a whole new experience because you're not used to this. And then there's like a 15 fight night. I'm like, oh, okay. So now we're like, <laughs> it's a little crazy at this point. And by this point, now we finally finish that game. We drive all the way back to Regina. We now have to dig our cars out of the snow at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, well, I'm guess I guess I'm just getting the full experience of the WHL. So they don't have this in the brochure. <laughs> yeah, we don't have this is we don't sign up for this stuff. Um so the next game we played was in Moose Jaw and obviously the Regina Moose Jaws um, rivalry is one of a kind. It is intense because if you haven't been a part of it, it's like, it's crazy just to think about all the nonsense that happened, but we got to play them. It was, I believe uh, like the 27th or 28th um, Barrett Jackman was away. According to the guys, everything was so much calmer because Barrett Jackman was gone and the way he played. But I'll never forget this is we were sitting in the locker room and on the power play for Moose Jaw, they always swung Scott Kelman into like the left-hand corner and he'd come up the wall as fast as he possibly could. 
And then they'd skate down the middle and right around the red line, they'd pass him the puck. It was like their go-to play. So our coach at the time, Lauren Mulkin, um, sent our fastest player and, you know, he's Matt Hubauer, who was probably 5'10", but he was like 2'10", and he could fly. He's like, you're just going to go the opposite way and circle, and you're going to go as fast as you possibly can, and you're going to try to blow him up right at the red line. <laughs> Meanwhile, these guys are like best friends. So that's the funny part of the whole story is that those guys were best friends. So anyway, he does it. He just misses them. And all of a sudden, we get back to the net, and there's a line brawl. And I'm like, great. And I'm on the ice at this point. And all I hear is, I've got the 15-year-old. Uh-oh. I'm like looking around and just get grabbed right away. I'm like, and he's like, we're not fighting. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, oh, thank God. Hey? <laughs> exactly. I was like, what is going on in this league? So that was my experience in Regina. Um, you packed about pretty, 20 games yeah. into those four I, games. I know, those right? Four, you the, really got a lot out of four games. Yeah, like it was four games, but it felt like 20, just like you said, Rob. Um Anyway, I get traded to Tri-City. It wasn't as eventful, but we played two games up in uh, Prince George. That's when they had Bugard and we had Morasti. Um, pretty eventful games. I think there was a line brawl in one of those games too. Um, so now I've got six games and like four line brawls in my first six in the in the WHL. So I'm, you know, obviously gearing up for just a crazy whirlwind of a year and they started like making all these different transactions and I'm looking at it and I'm like, Okay, well, they've traded like good players for tough guys. Um, we had like Jordan Cameron, we had John Morasti, we had Ryan Jordy. Like, we had an ultra, ultra tough hockey team. Um, so then Bob Torrey comes in and he's like the exact opposite. He wants all skill. And so he starts like make he like starts fleecing teams. Um, he's trading Morasti straight up. He's traded John Morasti straight up for Scott Kelman. Scott Kelman was like a second round, hundred point player. Yeah, yeah. And you trade him for John Morassi, like, pardon me. Anyway. So got into that first year. Um, it was a very up and down season. Uh, our ownership group at the time was like literally out of major league, the movie um, baseball with uh, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, like yeah. they were trying to move that team to Chilliwack. And so every turn, like they were pulling money out of it. They were just really trying to make it to a point where he could just sell the team. Um, we got into the playoffs that year. Um, we lost to Spokane in, in five games. I actually had a really good playoff at that point. Um, I think I led the team in scoring um, in the playoffs that year. So that was like, it, it was a fun first year. And um, my time in Tri-City to kind of sum it up was, was a whirlwind we had like seven coaches. We had three different ownership groups. Uh, we had one GM, which was kind of nice, but it, it was it was almost like the building blocks for the franchise it is today. Um, yeah. So we were really just a massively transitional era in Tri-City Hockey, but it was uh, it's something that I'll never forget. Yeah, you were uh, there through the turbulence for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna Big say time. they probably sold the skate sharpener that year too. Eh? Oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, re I remember those times. Now, during your time in junior, and, and I'll get to, to draft day yet, but I wanted to talk world juniors. My God, you were part of two amazing uh, world junior championships. The one, the, the first one you were in, which was 04, you guys lose 
in the gold medal final in yeah. the most heartbreaking fashion. And then the next year you were part of one of the best teams ever assembled at the world juniors winning gold in 05. Looking back now, I mean, you're done playing now. You've been pro, you played in the NHL, all those things. But I'd have to think those world juniors definitely rank up there as far as great hockey uh, experiences. Oh, 100%. Uh, that, especially that second year. Um, we just went on such a great run. And we just basically knew from the minute that we got to training camp, like, we're not losing. Um, we basically returned all of the players. And then we added Shea Weber. I mean, that's a pretty good ad. And then yeah. we added, I think it was, uh, who was it up front? Uh, I think we added Andrew Ladd up front. Uh, we added MacArthur, Fraser. But after that, like every, oh, Crosby and Bergeron actually were the other guys. Um, so oh, like guys. the ads that we got yeah. were just, you know, average ads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I was just looking at the group uh, on the blue line. That might be one of the best defenses in world junior history. There was... Yourself, of course, Shea Weber, uh, Dion Phaneuf, Brent Seabrook, Braden Coburn, Cam Barker, Danny Sivret. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And, and Barker had mono at that, that point too. So like it was, uh, yeah, like he didn't even get to play in the tournament. And actually the really crazy thing about that whole thing is like, while we added all those players, uh, two things actually, Corey Perry was our 13th forward. Yeah. And then I think it was Jeremy Colton that ended up going down. And then Perry slid in and then he just, you know, formed one of the best first lines in world junior history. So there was that one. And then the second one was actually the two leading scores in the entire C, uh, CHL were Mark, uh, Mark Stone or Ryan Stone rather and Eric Fair. And like they were putting up numbers that at that time in the WHL, like you did not put up. And somehow like those guys got left off the team. So part of me sits there and says like, well, what happens if you add, those two guys in to the roster like are we that much more dynamic and then the other guy really was mike green like he was doing some really good stuff right in saskatoon and yeah he, he really like people always ask and say this but you could have had two teams oh yeah especially that year because of the yeah. lockout strike or whatever i mean you had yeah. everybody available yeah what what was that atmosphere like uh, because it was in North Dakota, close enough to Winnipeg, yet a, a ton of Canadians come down. Like that atmosphere must have been amazing. It was electric. It was every game we we sold out the building. It was you know people were drinking till they couldn't stand up anymore. It, it honestly like reminded me a little bit of like Europe. You know Europe yeah. they they're constantly singing, dancing, or cheering. It's the exact same atmosphere, and we really just thrived off of it. Um, you know I don't maybe it might've been a little bit closer if we we're in Europe and we didn't have that home crowd, but uh, I don't know. Like our, our team was just so good and we were so motivated to win from and right the wrongs from the year before that we just were like, okay, it doesn't matter where we're at. We're winning this thing. Oh, that's, that's, it's incredible. I, I just, I think back to that world junior is absolutely amazing. Uh, you get drafted 2003 St. Louis blues first round. Give me the draft story. Uh, were you there? Like, how did it all go down for you? Yeah, so we, um, we can kind of start, I guess, like the combine. So we got interviewed by 13 teams. Um, you know, you do your kind of rounds. You get asked all the crazy questions. Um, some teams kind of just like to put you on the spot to see what happens. I mean, New Jersey was asking you to do like workout basically in your, um, in your suit. So take off your shoes and you're doing squats and jumps and all kind of stuff like that. And 
you know, it's always funny because every, you know, everybody there and everybody kind of just talks and you share all the crazy stories that happen. So New Jersey ended up keeping like, I think 10 players after the combine um, and they flew back to New Jersey. Uh, St. Louis took 20 guys to St. Louis and we did like more combine testing and stuff like that. Um, so I was there in St. Louis and then my agent at the time, we were kind of just, you know, talking back and forth. And it was like, well, we don't really know where we're going to go. Like I didn't have the greatest season in the world. Um, our team in Tri-City was was wretched, to be very honest. Yeah. Uh, we, had, we went through two 12-game losing streaks. Um, so in your draft year, that's probably not what you want to have happen. Um, and so we kind of just, we were like, okay, well, we're ranked 17th overall, all the way to 42nd. So we really had no idea. Um, and then the day of the draft, I had one more meeting with Washington. Um, that was an interesting one for sure. Like they were all cracking beers. I think it was like nine o'clock in the morning. They're asking if I want one and I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I think, I think this like, is a trick. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm like, ah, no, I'm not playing this game. Um, so yeah, I had a meeting with Washington. So we kind of thought that they might pick, uh, pick me. We kind of had an inclination that, uh, Edmonton wanted me but they were like very much either centermen or defensemen. And then obviously St. Louis, we, we went to their camp and, and whatnot. So we just kind of sat back and relaxed. I, I mean, I didn't really have too much stress, um, which is kind of odd to say, but like, I just really didn't know. It was just such a whirlwind of a year. And there were so many different things that happened so quickly that you just, you really didn't have time to be worried about it. Um, got picked 30th overall obviously by St. Louis and then from there like actually it's funny you you're asking this question because some of our players asked me what it was like to get drafted and I don't remember anything past shaking Gary Bettman's hand and then putting the jersey on that's literally the only thing because after that they just pull you into the back and then it's just do interview interview everything so that's kind of the draft day story a little bit oh yeah whirlwind oh yeah so you, you know, after you get drafted, you play another couple seasons of junior at, in Tri-City. So you go to training camps in the fall, you get to meet everybody. You, you, you're probably pretty comfortable within the organization because you know a lot of people. How yep. much does that help you when you're, you get to your first year pro and now, okay, now I'm, I'm playing for money. Now I'm truly on my own, unlike junior, because you have, you know, that, that, that relationship with, with all those players from those years of uh, training camp, how, how much does that help? Well, actually what happened, I got traded my first year. Like, so I got drafted, yeah. I went back to Tri-City and then halfway through the year, I got traded from St. Louis to Dallas. Um, so right out of the gates, I got traded and kind of found out later that was my agents doing. Um, so anyway, first training camp, like my true training camp was in Dallas. That's where I turned pro. Um, you know, I had a good feeling about it. Like, they were kind of setting me up with some of their older players. Like I got to, you know, kind of run with Trevor Daly. Uh, David Oliver was a guy that really took me under his wing. Like we're still friends to this day. Um, so they were setting me up, you know, for success and, and kind of showing me the ropes. And unfortunately it just didn't work out in Dallas. And I think I got traded pretty quick out of there too, for whatever odd reason. Um, but I mean, your first year pro is, it's just, it, it's so different than, anyone can ever tell you um, from 
showing up on time to dressing a certain way to the style of game, the fact that, you know, you're coming out of junior, a top dog, you go to the junior, uh, to the pro world. And really at the end of the day, like you're nobody. And not to say that I had that, but it's just like, it's a learning experience. Um, you know, your last year junior, you're getting off the ice early. So you do that at the professional ranks, like you're getting ripped by the assistant coach. And it's like, you stay on the ice until I leave, but nobody tells you that kind of stuff. Right. So it's just a very big learning curve. And if you're, if you're put in a situation where you've got like those veteran players to lean on, they can help you and they can really make your experience good. Um, But I think that's a lot of times where, you know, players kind of, go one way or they go the other. Like you look at Dion Phaneuf, he went into a perfect setup where he had great veteran leadership. The GMs are brothers. Like what more could you possibly want as a player coming in? And then obviously his career took off like no one's business, right? So it's just, uh, it's very much circumstantial where you're at, you know, what kind of team you're with. It's, uh, you, you can't be prepared for it. Yeah, timing, hey, yeah. like, like- a lot of things that you have no control Zero over. Zero idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luck yeah. of the draw. Uh, tell me about your first game in the NHL, uh, Minnesota Wild, what you, your 21-year-old season. Like, what was yeah, – did you find out, like, well in advance or did you, like, find out right away and then you had to play? Like, how was it? I found out the night before. So, I was in Houston. Uh, they called me at, like, 10 o'clock. And then they're like, hey, you're going to fly out at 8 o'clock in the morning. You're coming up to Minnesota. Um, obviously, you can barely sleep at that point because you're just so excited about playing. Um, I don't even remember who we uh, played against, to be honest with you. But if you give me one second. Okay. Uh, against <laughs> we're, Detroit. We're going into oh, the okay. archives. <laughs> so it was against Detroit. Um, at that time, like, they've got a pretty, you know, substantial roster still. Um so not an easy game to be your first professional or first NHL game at this point. Uh, very surreal. Uh, I, I think I made, might've played like 14, 15 minutes. Um, honestly, don't remember much other than that. Cause it's just, it's just so quick and you're just yeah. trying to take in everything and you're, you're seeing Stevie Y skate by and then there goes Chelios and then there goes Shanahan. And you're just like, Oh, okay. Like this is too much. Right. So after, after you get a few games though under your belt, were you able to like adjust and then feel comfortable? Yeah, I was, I always got to the point where I was starting to feel comfortable. Then a player got healthy and then I got sent down. So it was never where I could like really, really get my legs underneath me. And, and part of, we kind of touched on it a little bit, just in terms of like the coaches and the different styles. Like by the time I played my first game, like I'm in my third organization already. Yeah, yeah. And I've gone from, you know, an ultra hard ass and Dave Allison, who was in uh, Iowa at the time with the stars. And he was like very, very hard. Um, I'm now with Rob Dom, who I know from here in Edmonton. Yeah. And we got along really well. We still have a pretty good relationship now. And then, you know, I'm with St. Louis prior to that. And so every single time you go to a different place and every single time you get a different coach, it's a new style. Okay, Sean, well, what is your style? What got you drafted? Okay. Throw that out the window and you're going to play this way. Oh, okay. And then the next year it's like, <laughs> take all that stuff you learned last year and then you're going to go back to what got you here. 
So it, it was really hard to find that footing um, to consistently just, you know, progress and develop as a player. Um, but it, it professional hockey, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like it's no words can really describe what professional hockey is. Yeah. I like in the NHL, you played Montreal in Montreal, in Edmonton, in Colorado, and you played in the American league. Like what was in the American league? What was your favorite place to play? Uh, favorite place to play probably Winnipeg. Yeah. They had, uh, they didn't have the jets at the time. So they were still getting 13,000 fans. Um, it was always electric. We always had massive rivalries against them for whatever reason, whether it was like me being in Houston and then Houston and Winnipeg at the time, they're both in the IHA, but years before. So they had a natural rivalry because they played in the finals. So like, I always found that any team that I was on, they always had that rivalry. And so the games were just, they were, they were fun. They were intense. Uh, they always had good teams. We had for the most part, really good hockey teams. So I really, in the minors, I loved playing in Winnipeg. I bet. Right on. Uh, coming back to Edmonton, you're from Edmonton, getting to play for the Oilers. Uh, that had to be incredibly special as the 2010, 2011 season. Uh, what do you recall from that time? Like how special was that for you? I, I wish it would have lasted longer. Yeah. <laughs> was, uh, I, I loved it. I wanted nothing more than to be able to play in front of my friends and family. Like by this point, I haven't played in front of a lot of my friends in probably like a good, you know, eight, 10 years. Um, my family was coming to Tri-City sparingly, but I mean, for the most part for them, it was hard to get down to Tri-City or to some of the other stops I was at. Um, you know, so I really, really wanted to play in Edmonton, uh, special, obviously like he, <laughs> I laugh about this one all the time, but whoever decided to put a bar right next to the runway, <laughs> walking to the rink, uh, they should have a serious chat with because <laughs> it was one of my first games. Like you're getting sweared at and you look over and it's like, you're good buddies that yeah. are swearing at you. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just trying to keep it real for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Keep you grounded. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what they're trying to do right so it's you're trying to be serious you're trying to make your mark but at the same time you got your buddies chirping you right behind you and they're doing it just to get a laugh out of you that's classic well of course that's <laughs> what buddies do that's exactly what they do i uh, after your time in uh, north america you went to europe for a bit you're in germany yep. uh you're in sweden how'd you enjoy the european experience um really love germany um after my last year pro, like I was kind of, I don't know, I, I was having a tough time wrapping my head around how I hadn't played. Like if you asked me about my NHL career, my pro career, probably two spots. I really thought I should have turned into the NHL player that I thought I could become. And that was Edmonton and Colorado. Um, and obviously it didn't work. So I was just having a tough time um, processing that. So I ended up going to Germany. Um, I didn't think it would be for four years, but I was there. I kind of just renewed my passion for hockey. I, I really had a good time. Mannheim was about as close to the NHL as you possibly could get. Like we were averaging probably 14 or 15,000 fans. It was, you know, a team full of guys that were in North America that I played against all through the minors. We played against the Buffalo Sabres. We got to go to the Spangler cup. Like we did a lot of good stuff that, 
you don't normally get the opportunity to do if you're here in North America, right? And just traveling throughout Europe, like going to Rome or going to Budapest, like stuff like that. So it just really, you know, made me love hockey again, to be very honest, my first two years in, uh, in Mannheim. And then I went to Sweden. Um, and that's kind of basically where my career ended. I got a knee injury. Um, I came back way too quick. Like I tore my lateral meniscus. And that's usually like a six to eight week injury and recovery. But I was back on the ice after seven days. And oh. I skated and they're like, no, it's fine. Like, you'll be fine. And it's, it's, you're always going to get somebody that says, well, why can't you stand up for yourself? Well, if you're the only English speaking person in a team of 25 guys that are all like pressuring you to play, you're going to play. And so that's basically what happened. So I just finished the season with painkillers, my knee wrapped, and it just wasn't a good experience for me. And then just kind of wrapped it up, obviously, with Dusseldorf. And, and that was fun. My uh, my now wife was there, too. So I, I had a really good time in Dusseldorf as well. Right on. So, Sean, you found yourself, I'll, I'll say, you're still quite involved in a number of areas that kind of the business of hockey, you know, be it, be it training, even coaching, you know, management broadcast inside <laughs> tell, tell us a bit about everything you've been doing let's hear it well um when i finished i i had you know a few friends that i had worked with um creating relationships at vimy Ridge academy um so i called one of them i asked if i could uh, you know be his assistant coach and with tim fraggle and he you know he obliged and that's where i kind of started my coaching career um from there i obviously i really enjoyed it um, it helped me kind of stay in the game and there's a lot of players that when they end very abruptly in the way that I did, and then all of a sudden now they have to figure out what they want to do. It goes pretty bad. Um, I actually, <laughs> I won't say his name, but there's a guy <laughs> that I've been friends with for a really long time, uh, kind of a mentor in a way we used to see each other at save on food, like randomly, probably once or twice a month. And he's like, Bells, you're retiring. I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, take it from me. I got into a lot of problems when I retired because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Figure out what you want to do. Go do it. It'll save you a lot of time, effort, potentially your marriage, whatever. So I took that advice. That's when I got into the coaching world. Um, it, it really helped just keep my mind away from like, you know, is there something I can do? Can I continue playing? Whatever. And all the ups and downs that you possibly would have when you retire. Um, from there, that summer, I decided that I was going to start to train. Um, I'd been doing it for a long time. I'd got my certificate. I was doing like, you know, some of my friends and family when I was coming home in the summertime. And it was something that I just really enjoyed doing. And I figured, well, I already know this industry. I've been doing this for the last 15 years of my life. So why not try to translate this into hockey players? which I did. And I had about 13 guys to start and that's since taken off to, you know, my own company with seven hockey. Now coaching has taken me basically to the Nate Ukes, yep. and then it's yep. taken me to OHA and now I'm with silent ice and entertainment. And then while that was all going on, um, like I kind of mentioned, I think a little bit earlier, I think we might've been off. Uh, we weren't recording at the time, but Oilers TV, uh, myself and Tom Gazzola, we're going to, 
hook up at one point to get me on the panel for playoffs. Um, that went sideways a little bit last minute and then kind of came back full circle with the Sportsnet thing, um, which like I almost fell off my chair when, when I got that call, cause it was <laughs> completely on the left field. Like That's awesome. I hadn't applied for anything. <laughs> I hadn't said anything to anybody. Fellas, they came and found me. Yeah. Like yeah. all of a sudden there's a phone. It's like, Hey, it's Sportsnet. Awesome. Do you want to do something? I'm like, yeah. Uh, are you lying? Yeah. So, and you got what you said good. about half a dozen games this year? Yeah, I did five games. Um, very surreal. Uh, you guys for sure would know exactly what it's like to, to kind of be in that live on air, um, in the fire, so to speak. Yeah. And then while all that was going on, <laughs> I had a bunch of players uh, that I trained be like, I need an agent. And then I'd hear tales of, you know, kind of how things were going for them. And I'm like, well, I'm doing a lot of this stuff anyways. So why don't I just try to see if I can't get into the agency world and help you guys. And then I end up talking with a gentleman uh, by the name of Manny Schmidt, who has been in the agency world for the last little bit. And he instantly signed me on. So I've got my fingers in almost every area of hockey at this point. Yeah, you got it covered from top to bottom. <laughs> exactly. How have you enjoyed the agency aspect of the game? Um, it's extremely difficult. I, I think it's part of it is um, obviously the pandemic with COVID-19. Um, there's nothing like getting thrown in the fire. My first One of my first clients is in the NCAA. He was up in Fairbanks. Their team decided that they weren't going to play. And so he wanted to transfer. And this was around November. At that point, I had one contact in the NCAA. <clears throat> and that's Mike Gabinet because I played with him like years ago. It's yeah. so called Gabby. He's like, we're not really looking for anybody as if, you know, unless they're a top six forward and like a clear cut top six forward. This kid wasn't. He wasn't clear cut. Like I know that he could have, but he's probably better served in your top nine. So then all of a sudden I'm just, I'm calling, like I'm cold calling teams. And this is my first time ever doing it. I don't even know what to say to these people, let alone try to get this kid on a team. <clears throat> After about six weeks and the first four weeks, I didn't get a call back. After six weeks, AIC came out of nowhere and it took like maybe two days for him to sign on. And it's the best thing that ever happened to him because they went from a, basically a school that was getting stomped every night to a top 10 team. So for him, it's been fantastic. Unfortunately, I have another player in the NCAA who is in the exact opposite boat, um, where I think we're now like seven weeks and still nobody's calling. So they've got this portal that they call it where all these players can transfer. And because of COVID and the, the fact that the NCAA changed the rules where you can have one free transfer and you don't have to sit out, everybody has decided that they want to be in this portal so they can change school. So like there's 300 kids in the portal. Oh, and then on top of that, <laughs> you've got Robert Morris that folded Huntsville folded and another team folded. So three teams folded. And now it's just like, take your pick. So it's been interesting. Yeah. So Sean, as an agent helping young players come up, what, what do you try to provide for them? that maybe you wish you could have gotten in earlier age or, or just what's, what's your focus in that world that you think 
I'd imagine pretty competitive area. So what, what are you guys doing to try and set yourselves apart? Well, it's, it's certainly a cutthroat industry because the minute you have a client and somebody else wants him, he just, you know, comes knocking on the door and they try to steal um, the top 10 agencies. Like you really can't compete with those guys. They own like 54% of all revenue. Um, after that, you've got like 60 agencies kind of fighting for themselves. Um, with that being said, I, I think creating relationships is one of the biggest things as an agent. The amount of times I've heard players say, I haven't talked to my agent in months or, you know, all he's done is sent me a bill or, you know, they're getting advice from other people. Well, as an agent, like I kind of feel that it's your responsibility to be there for your client whether that's, you know, an NHL player making 13 million, an NHL player making 13 million, or it's a minor league pro player making 40 grand, or it's a kid in midget AAA, sorry, U18 AAA, um, that's making zero. Like everybody's kind of got to feel like they're worth something. Um, so for me, like I really try to create that relationship. I, I really try to be honest as much as I can, because that's something that I've always known in hockey. There's a lot of fluff that gets blown around and it's almost like you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but it actually is counterproductive. So for me, I'm ultra truthful. I, I, even if it might hurt your feelings a little bit, I'm going to tell you because at least that way, you know, you're prepared for it or you can improve the situation. Um, so that's just for me. Um, that's what I like to do in terms of the agency. Um, as a whole, the way we're kind of trying to separate ourselves is that we can go into a full conversation about this, but I always found that hockey players were the worst marketed uh, players or professional athletes in the world. Okay. Um, You look at, and here's a direct comparison, Patrick Mahomes, who is generational talent and Connor McDavid, the base salaries between the two, it's completely skewed towards Patrick Mahomes. Every time I turn my TV on, I see Patty Mahomes. Every time I turn an American station on, somebody's talking about Patty Mahomes. Why don't we get the exact same thing with Connor McDavid? Like it's to the point where if you look at TNT and they just got serious fire for this, they're now getting into the hockey game and they actually put Andrew Ference, no disrespect to him, but they put Andrew Ference and Ovechkin on their banner. Like if you knew and you had that same marketability with Connor McDavid, who is a generational talent, that should never happen. So for us as an agency, we're always trying to, you know, push that envelope, trying to get players uh, marketed more than ever. We're trying to change the dynamic in, and allowing players to kind of become their own brand, which is never something that's happened because hockey is very much, you play for the team. This is what the team does. Meanwhile, they waste so many opportunities on sponsorships and marketing and, and all sorts of stuff like that. So we've really um, <clears throat> narrowed our focus on doing stuff like that. Well, that's cool. Do you see, uh, when I think of the hockey and the agent, it's all in the now, obviously, you know, getting yep. the percentage of the today's contract. But you look at some of the things that, you know, I think of getting uh, clients for life where yes. you could become their, their financial man. You think of everything that people pay for after the fact, whether it's personal training, you know, mentorship, 
the life coach and financial and and you, you exactly think of what you know is. where you are establishing the strength of this relationship with it with what is it starts as an 18 year old and it's like hey we're here with you for the hockey ride but we're yeah. also it that a model do you think that could work or just that, that is actually money? legitimately our model <laughs> okay that it's we're trying to set you up for for life after sport not setting sport up for life right like it, it's well, that's cool. we want to make sure that at the end of the day guys are being taken care of um we kind of obviously touched on it with the guy that i saw at save on foods where it's like i'm done i don't know what to do with myself but if you can set up your player for success after whatever that is then they're always going to be in a good place because you've created that relationship you should care for that person enough that you can help him through that time or her that time when they basically lose their identity and it it like make no mistake it's hard like you're very structured i played for 10 years pro five four years i guess in the minor so 14 years more or less pro or semi-pro the routine is just ingrained in you and then all of a sudden that's taken away from you abruptly like you're, you're not riding off in the sunset like a lot of these guys are for most players it's very abrupt and it's like okay well i was just playing in the nhl or i was just playing pro i was just getting offers I can still do this. Well, why doesn't anybody want me? Right. So if you can help guys kind of navigate that side of things, <clears throat> I think you're, you're doing a world yeah. of service to those players. Right. Hot. Yeah. So do you, and, and do you, Oh, go ahead. Mooner. Go, no, go ahead. Lol. No. Uh, well, I, I, I want to hear you. Some, okay. All right. Let me throw it out there. <laughs> you got, you got some guys that, you know, after an, an NHL career of, you know, banked a lot of money and, and maybe they have 20 million dollars, you know, invested or in the bank or what have you but you'd also have a bunch that have just played minor pro maybe played a little bit in the nhl wouldn't have that same kind of of cash how important is it i guess from the financial planning side of things to to set these guys up for success after oh it's massive i i would say honestly like probably 10 percent of the players um are set up for life like you Connor mcdavid set up for life yeah. no matter what he does but the amount of players that are really more or less bubble players because what is the 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 average life expectancy of an NHL player is like five years max. So a lot of these guys, especially now at the salary cap area era, they doesn't, it's not like their, their contract really escalates that much. Like if you look at Tyler Pitlick, for example, like he's making 1.5 right now and he's been playing in the NHL now for a couple of years. So if you take, you know, he's playing in, I think he's in Dallas, right? So Dallas is actually good because there's no state tax, but you've got escrow that's taking 20% of your contract. You've got your agent taking three to five, depending on what agency you're with. You've got all of your taxes that are coming out. You could argue that some of these are probably in the 40% range. Well, like that's 63% of your contract already gone. So even if you are making a million dollars, you're not really making a million dollars. So a lot of these guys are in a situation where like they think they have more money than they actually do. So being able to set up guys, you know, with, with guys like Matt Cassian, who's in the financial game and he's actually got a whole wing in Raymond James that's designated to athletes, uh, I, I think is really, really imperative. And it's crucial for these guys because at the end of the day, you retire, unless you have done a really good job of, you know, finding some of these things that you can put your money into like you really aren't set up for life. So 
that's it's I think for me that's one of the biggest things of an agent yeah I saved up enough uh, to have four kids and I'm hoping <laughs> one of those exactly. kids uh, <laughs> takes care of me when I'm old exactly <laughs> that's my savings plan Sean yeah. looking ahead you're involved in so many cool different things do you do you see continuing with a bit of the I'll call it the juggling act or or is there one area you want to focus more of your direction going forward um at some point i've got a streamline um because i can't keep running in all these different directions um i haven't really thought or decided which area i'm going to go other than the gym side of things um you know the development side is is a passion for me whether it's training or it's the on ice development i really really enjoy that um i couldn't really be bothered for minor hockey parents um my first year at OHA was a very, very interesting year. That was my first time ever really working with minor hockey parents. And I had a few absolute treats um, <laughs> that have kind of just, unfortunately. <laughs> and if they're listening, we'll just say, oh, not you. We don't mean well, not you. Exactly. Not you. Exactly. Yeah. I, it, it's tainted a lot of it for me based off of just a couple of these parents. Wow. Um, and I shouldn't hold that against them. Uh, obviously they're trying to make their son or daughter, you know, a pro hockey player or trying to advance them. But like, I just have a tough time, especially with the fact that accountability is ingrained in my head where it's like, Hey, if you're not doing something, I'm going to challenge you to do it so that we can all work together to move forward. But if I show you, and for example, record something where it show clearly shows that you're not doing it. And I give it to you as a parent and you basically blame everything else other than the fact that your son or daughter is not doing anything drives me insane. Oh yeah. And like uh, video and, uh, doesn't lie. Yeah. Like, no, I wish you will. <laughs> nope. It doesn't lie. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. wish you well. That, that'll work out it's, great it's for you. Down never there. happening. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think modern hockey coaching it's fun because it keeps me in the game. It keeps me, you know, connected to a lot of the young kids, which essentially is a lifeblood of my gym. Um, but at the end of the day, like I, I would like to move up, I think in hockey and get into the junior world. Um, if one day awesome, I could get to the NHL world and great, but um, you know, we'll see where that journey takes, takes me right on. Well, Sean, so, so happy you could make time for us today and, yeah. and tell us your story. And, and uh, it's super cool. All the different things you're doing now, life after hockey and, and just that you've clearly shown that, Hey, you, you can, uh, you can carve out quite a few great paths and, and uh, I hope to see you more on TV. You know, that's when I, I first uh, really saw you lots and you did great this past season. Hopefully you get more of that uh, going ahead and, and and really cool hearing on on uh, on the linked um, uh, link management that uh, I love just hearing that the plan beyond the game you know of course the game is that's the core mm -hmm. of it that's the focus but uh, uh, things that truly can be these could be clients for life in in many regards yeah. so very cool good stuff a motor yeah awesome Sean amazing I just remember you flying around uh, when you were playing with the Tri City Americans and. Uh, and then of course, obviously the world juniors and stuff, but yeah, your, your ability to skate was something that, uh, absolutely amazed me. Even when you were like a 16 year old rookie. <laughs> well, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Right Some on. of my kids don't believe that I was fast. So I have to, it's oh. nice to hear these things. 
Okay, yeah, you were fast. I can I can absolutely attest to that. There, there's that uh, that video evidence we were talking about. That's earlier. exactly yeah, what yeah, we're talking right. about again. <laughs> I I just take my tapes and I speed them up. That's the only way I can convince my kids that I just I put was them on fast, fast forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got to put mine to rewind so the puck's coming out of the net. It's not no, going in the it. net. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, folks, if you can, please uh, uh, subscribe to the Top Cheddar podcast and uh, head to topcheddar.ca. We'll have, uh, of course, this episode and and dozens and dozens more. We, we've just had all kinds of fun uh, conversations with all kinds of great former hockey players, you know, killing it in the real world right now. And, and uh, Sean definitely being one of them. So Thanks so much. Uh, big thanks again to our sponsor, uh, Troubled Monk. Big thanks to them. Go grab yourself a beverage if you need one. They've got you covered, eh, Motor? They sure do, eh? And they deliver. And they and deliver. they deliver. You said, yep, you click the magic internet machine and uh, it's sitting on your step at the end of the day. <laughs> Wonderful. Might have Wonderful. to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad idea. Sean, we wish you all the best in your future endeavors, and, and thanks for joining me and Motor on the Top Cheddar Podcast. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime.